Welcome to Puckheads. I'm Matt Rosenberg. Alongside me, Zach Smith, on December 30th here, and it is the, well, not, not a year-ender, technically for a calendar year, but it is also a decade-ender, and Zach, it's kind of funny because I was thinking about this actually this morning uh, as we were kind of getting ready, getting ready to come here to record the podcast, that, like, it's just weird to me that this decade's over already, and, and mainly because it's my first one as a full-fledged adult. And I've been, you know, I mean, I graduated college in this decade, uh, apparently decided to go back to college eight years later, uh, and, but, you know, then I kind of realized that my birthday always ends, my, my, like, my milestone birthdays, 10, 20, 30, blah, 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 are always going to end at a decade. So, just turned 30 this year, I was like, I don't know how I didn't ever realize that before, but it's hard to believe that we have, what? A day and a half left in this decade. Yeah, it's um, it's always interesting to see as time goes by. You you know, you you realize each day goes by. It seems like it takes a while, and then you wake up and it's uh, another decade has passed. So, I agree. I mean, I was uh, just starting high school at the beginning of the decade. Went through high school, college, um, and and now we're here. So. It's uh, it's been a great decade decade for both of us. Um, been a great decade of hockey, also. Never have I felt older than when you just told me that you were starting <laughs> high school in this decade, and I was getting ready to get out of college. Thanks, Zach. Uh, Welcome. Yeah, that's so, what I'm here for. Anyway, um, so we're gonna kind of deviate from what our normal uh, show is, and and we're just gonna kind of really focus on the decade in review in hockey. We're gonna touch on two things first, just two kind of current stories, uh, which is the NHL is going to have their southernmost uh, winter classic here to start this decade uh, in Dallas on Wednesday. It's going to be the National Predators versus the Dallas Stars at the Conboat. First of all, it's great to see two new teams in the Winter Classic, as I think the Winter Classic is a celebration of hockey, no matter what climate or what temperate zone you are in. I think that that's first and foremost what the Winter Classic needs to be. I'm excited to see how this looks, how this, uh, the stadium looks, the ice. It, it's going to be definitely a challenge for the NHL, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see. You know, they've done games in California. Uh, now you're doing one in Texas. I think it really pushes the envelope of what the NHL can do next, and I hope that they get more creative with their matchups and don't just revert to like the same eight or ten teams. Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly... Uh, an exciting and a new um, winter classic to have. The fact that it's in in Dallas is exciting because you know the NHL is growing, hockey is growing around the world, so they need to have this approach where they're they're bringing in different cities and different teams. Um, I was looking at some of the numbers. NHL has sold about 84,000 tickets for this game. Um, I mean the Cotton Bowl is massive, it, yeah. it's a, so hopefully um, the crowd is in it. It's going to be an exciting game. Um, like you said, two new teams, not necessarily the most exciting matchup, the way the season's gone uh, for Nashville and Dallas. But I expect it to be a good game, two really good teams um, that don't necessarily like each other. It's going to be a good matchup. Well, I mean, you know, when you think about it, it's look, Dallas has been playing very well lately. They're third in the Central Division, and you have Nashville, who's been up and down, as you mentioned. I mean, they're still in a playoff hunt, for sure. So it's going to be, you know, at least it's, it's an exciting matchup, and I think the impact of going to the Southern U.S. is huge for the NHL and Winter Classic to not just continually ignore 
half your league or, you know, three-fifths of your league because, you know, they're not quote-unquote traditional hockey markets. So I think that this should allow the NHL to get more creative with how they're going to do winter classics. And, and I, like I said, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be good hockey. You're going to see Ben Bishop, hopefully, hopefully Pekka Rene. Um, I, I'm just excited to see the atmosphere, and I think it's going to be a fun game. I believe puck drop is, is at noon here, 1 Eastern on Wednesday. So. Yeah, that's generally around the time that they drop the, uh, drop the puck. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see, and hey, it'll be a great way to ring in the new year. It's always, always a lot of fun. All right, let's get to the World Juniors that are taking place over in the Czech Republic. Uh, Canada just getting absolutely gobsmacked by Russia in, on Saturday. Russia defeated them 6 to nothing. Uh, Canada winds up rebounding today with a 4-1 a victory over Germany, getting an empty netter in the final few seconds. Uh, Canada did lose Alexis Lafreniere, though, in uh, the injury. He kind of went in, down into the pads of the goalie, twisted his knee. He missed today's game. Not sure if he's going to be able to play tomorrow in their final round, round robin. After tomorrow, uh, everybody gets a break on New Year's, and then you'll have four quarterfinal games on Thursday. Just an absolutely fun day uh, for the World Juniors. But, you know, it's a huge loss for Canada to lose your, your number one overall pick. You know, the presumptuous number one overall pick. And someone who's really had an impact on Team Canada. Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest surprise here is that Canada um, lost to Russia. You know, that Pool A certainly isn't as exciting uh, Finland, you had to think, was going to be the presumptive winner. Uh, maybe some teams would keep it interesting. Sweden having a good um, tournament so far. The U.S. is right where we expect them to be. Uh, I think Germany and the Czech Republic are showing that they've got some great young talent, and we've seen that in the last few drafts. Some of their players drafted pretty high. So it's it's always exciting hockey. Um, I think Canada is going to rebound. I think they're the biggest surprise so far, but I wouldn't count them out yet. I wouldn't count out Canada either. I agree with you. Um, they, they've got a lot of great talent on the team, of course, as always. Uh, in any international uh, you know, tournament, Canada usually is going to have the most noticeable talent and most name recognition talent. Being on an international ice is a little bit different. It's harder uh, for North American teams because it's bigger ice. It's not smaller ice like they're used to here, uh, here in the United States and Canada. Uh, you know, Pool A is interesting because you look at Sweden, which I believe has now re extended their streak to 51 consecutive pool play victories, <laughs> uh, which is just a remarkable thing. I don't think they've lost a, a round-robin game in, at the World Juniors since 2009 or, or 2008, one of those years. And so Sweden is 2-1-0-0. Oh, oh. So if that sounds a little bit weird, it's because the second – uh, column is for an overtime win. So it's three points for a regulation win, two for an overtime, one for an overtime loss, and then zero he loses in regulation. So Sweden, uh, with their 6-2 victory over Kazakhstan uh, earlier today, they have now taken the lead in Pool A uh, with a 2-1-0-0 record. Finland, 2-0-1-0 is in second with seven points. Switzerland at three points, and Slovakia at three as well. And those two teams have already played each other. And Kazakhstan, 0-0-0-4, they will go to the relegation round. They will play 
and try uh, play whoever is in fifth place in Pool B and try to avoid a relegation. Meanwhile, over in Pool B, Canada has actually gone from they were in fourth place here in the standings. They went the first with their victory earlier today over Germany because they have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the USA. They beat USA to open up the tournament. The U.S. has won two in a row, including a 3-1 victory over Russia yesterday. And Canada has now, right now they have the head-to-head tiebreaker because they beat the U.S. And so they are both tied atop pool B with six points. They both won two in regulation and one a loss in regulation. The Czech Republic at 1-0-0-1 with three points, and Russia at 1-0-0-2 with three points. Germany at 1-0-0-2 with three points. Those three teams are all tied for third place. So there are some important games today and tomorrow uh, for all these teams in Pool B because literally you can finish anywhere still. And so I think it's important for Team USA to try to get a win today in their final pool play game against the Trek Republic. If they get a win, obviously Team USA will be assured of going to the quarterfinals. Absolutely. I mean, it's great hockey. It's uh, it's always exciting when teams you don't expect to be super competitive are still in it. Um, as we mentioned last week, USA, Canada, the, the presumptive front runners in, in the entire tournament. We'll see if Pool A is able to give them a run for their money, but um, yeah, as you mentioned, it's some great games Monday, some great games Tuesday, and then we'll get into the quarterfinals where it gets really interesting. Yeah, and I believe that uh, US, uh, the U.S. game is actually underway. I believe it's it's 7 o'clock local time in the Czech Republic, and I believe that that's noon here. It's but, just about, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Slovakia and Switzerland in Pool A, they're going, that, that's the night game in Czech Republic for Pool A. US, the USA versus the Czech Republic tonight as well, and so those games are going underway. Don't have scores uh, yet off of those. Tomorrow, the final day of pool play, you'll have Sweden versus Slovakia. Obviously, if Sweden wins in regulation, they will be atop pool A. You have Russia versus Germany. That is going to be a huge game. Both teams need a win in order to avoid relegation, going to the relegation round. That's at 3 o'clock local time tomorrow. To end it, Finland versus Switzerland, 7 o'clock local time tomorrow. So that's about noon here in Central Time. And Canada versus the Czech Republic as well. So a lot to get under. Uh, a lot still go with World Juniors. And by this time next week, we'll, we'll have a winner. Absolutely. And we got some live scores right now. As mentioned, these games are underway over in Europe. We've got Slovakia 0, Switzerland 2. So uh, not... Very surprising there. Switzerland taking it to them early. U.S. and the Czech Republic are tied at one early in their game. So some uh, some good games going on right now. And as Matt just mentioned, some great games on Tuesday as well. Yeah, those games, uh, like I said, yeah, they, they should be approaching the first intermission relatively about, soon yeah. in those games. All right, so Zach, I, you know, you and I were talking, and it's kind of a special show. I mean, who knows if we're ever going to get to do another one of these again after a decade recap. And it's been really a, a heck of a decade, if I may say. You know, just a lot of fun hockey. I think hockey's grown in a ton of popularity in this decade. We've seen just more and more people getting into hockey, as well as, you know, growing with the uh, hockey, the Day in America, and Winter Classic, and all kinds of stadium series. So, uh we're going to do a decade recap, and we're also going to kind of choose our 
you know, top teams, top uh, coach center, kind of make like a, a little line. So one of the things that I think that, first of all, let's let's recap. So in 2010, the Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup for the first time in 49 years, defeating the Philadelphia Flyers 4-2, of course, with the wasn't-a-goal Patrick Kane under the pad of Michael Lane. In 2011, you had the Vancouver Canucks and the Boston Bruins, uh, playing just one of the most vicious series I've ever seen in my life. And the Boston Bruins winning in seven, going to Vancouver and shutting them out. Uh, really, when you think about the emergence of Brad Marchand in that series, as, uh, and the home team won every game. And uh, a lot of memorable kind of quotes that came from that series with the whole back and forth between Roberto Luongo and Tim Thomas in the media. Uh, Boston winning the game seven at on the road. The only... Uh, road team to win in that series and the only Canadian appearance in the Stanley Cup final in this decade. In 2012 you had the Los Angeles Kings uh, win their first Stanley Cup in their franchise history. They've been around since what, 1967 if I'm correct. So a long wait for them to get their first Stanley Cup and they beat the New Jersey Devils and they beat them in six games if I Recall off the top of the had a 3-0 lead, Jersey cut it to 3-2, but the Kings winning in sits in the first eight seed to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, that was a, a really good team. In 2013, you had the Chicago Blackhawks win their second cup in four years. They defeated the Boston Bruins in six games with the legendary two goals in 17 seconds when it looked like the series was heading back to Chicago for a game seven. In 2014... You had the Los Angeles Kings win their second cup in three years as they defeated the uh, New, York, New York Rangers in five games. Alec Martinez with the double overtime game winner in that one as uh, they tried to stake their claim as the best team in the West over that period and really the decade. The Chicago Blackhawks answered back with a third cup in six years as they defeated the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, for their cup, and they defeated them in six games, winning on home ice for the first time in this dynasty, mini-dynasty, whatever you want to call it, that the Blackhawks enjoyed from 2010 to 2015. And the Blackhawks... A, what I remember about that is that there was that weird delay of about 20 minutes to a half hour after they won the cup because the cup was stuck in traffic, which yeah. I never understood why the cup wasn't in Chicago a day before the game to begin with. But apparently I don't understand air travel and freight costs, but whatever. Uh, so the Blackhawks, their final cup in their mini dynasty. In 2016, you had the Pittsburgh Penguins defeat the Nashville Predators in six games uh, to win their... Oh, sorry, no. That would be the... That was the San Jose Sharks. Sorry, excuse me. In 2016, it was the San Jose Sharks. And they defeated the San Jose Sharks in six games to win their first cup since... What was it? Oh, nine. 2009. 2009, when they won... Uh, with the Mark Andre Fleury save, so uh, Sidney Crosby finally getting to touch Lord Stanley's again. A year later, the Pittsburgh Penguins pulled off the repeat, the first team since the '97 '98 Red Wings to repeat as champions. They defeated the Nashville Predators that time around in six games. Uh, I think that series really remembered for just the weird struggles that Pekka Rene had in Pittsburgh. Not able, it just turned into it was. 
two different, total, totally different tales of goaltenders in that one. In 2018, Alex Ovechkin finally, after a long wait and long struggles in the postseason, finally got past the Pittsburgh Penguins and went on to win the Stanley Cup over the expansion franchise Vegas Golden Knights in five games, uh, which led to the memorable parties uh, throughout the whole summer in Vegas that night and, uh, you know, all the stuff that the Washington Capitals did. We come to the final year uh, for a team to win a Stanley Cup in and won a memorable series. Last year, you had the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues uh, go after it. The St. Louis Blues winning their first cup in franchise history in a memorable seven-game series, winning games five and seven in Boston. And St. Louis Blues and their long wait finally over to win a Stanley Cup. So, with all that recap... We can go over that there were three teams to win multiple Stanley Cups in this decade. That would be the Chicago Blackhawks, the Los Angeles Kings, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Boston Bruins won one, St. Louis Blues, and the Washington Capitals. There were seven different teams from the Western Conference to represent uh, in the Stanley Cup final, including the first ever run by an expansion franchise in the Vegas Golden Knights. In the Eastern Conference, there was only two teams that repeated. Uh, you know, that was the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Boston Bruins to be in the Stanley Cup multiple times. You also had the Tampa Bay Lightning. You had the Philadelphia Flyers. You had the uh, Washington Capitals. I'm trying to think who else. Yeah, the, uh, the New Jersey Devils and, and the, the Rangers. Rangers. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just what a decade when you think about it. And, you know, you had your little mini runs of dominance. And you also had the parity that the league loves to have. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked in, in all sports this decade. It seemed like these many franchises or these many dynasties um, in all sports have existed. But when you really look at it, the, the parity of all the different teams that have made a run and have maybe not won it, but made it to the Stanley Cup final, uh, it's great to see so many teams uh, represented. It, again, it, it grows the hockey fan base in those cities. It makes for a better league overall when you have this much competition. Um, just an awesome decade, some great little runs, some great series, really. I mean, there, there's no memorable blowouts, I don't think, in any of the Stanley Cup finals. Um, you know, there were series that weren't particularly close, but they were competitive, at least. And um, that's all you can ask for when it comes down to uh, a good decade of hockey. I mean, yeah, you think about it, there were, there were only two seven-game series in that decade, 2011 and 2019. There were a bunch of six-game series in the decade. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you had, what, six of them, uh, 2010, 2013, 20, uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, and uh, 2012. Obviously, it's the one that, that I missed. And, you know, they only had two five games, and really the five-game series between Vegas and Washington was incredible. And, and, and I thought that you know, the Kings Rangers had it just, you know, the Kings and the Kings and the Blackhawks, for that matter, were both better than the Rangers at that time. And whoever made it out of that incredible Western Conference final was going to win that cup in 2014. And the Rangers were just, for Henrik Lundqvist, Rob Blades, wrong time. All right. Why don't we get to some of the individual accolades and uh, some of that. So we're going to each pick our coach and, and year and so I'll start out with my coach, or coach of the decade, excuse me, Joe Quinville. 
won three cups with the Chicago Blackhawks, was there for pretty much the entirety of the decade. Uh, you know, Joe Quinville really turned around this franchise, and he just, he had a looseness. Like, he knew how to run this team, and I don't know if you've ever read the book by Mark Lazarus, one of the Blackhawks writers, if not, I'll bring it to you. You know, if you enjoy that reading, you have time to read it. Uh, there's some great stories about the Blackhawks. I think it's If These Walls Could Talk by Mark Lazarus, and it's just a great book, and to show you, like, uh, they're, they're getting ready for a Western Conference, I want to say it's, uh, I want to say it was against Vancouver, or, like, that first in 2010, or 2009, and they're, they're sitting there in the locker room, and, and it's all tense, like, they've, and, and all of a sudden, Quinville comes running out like a madman, like, woo! All right, boys. All right, we're gonna get him. And, and, and like you know, he was hooting and hollering in his lot in his office. And then comes out, and it was all because he had won the Kentucky Derby and like won his bet. Like he hit the parlay. <laughs> so I know you'd appreciate that story, but that's just the kind of guy that Joe Quinville was. And he he was always calm, cool, collected, and just had a great pulse on the team. And he's the only coach besides Daryl Sutter to win multiple cups. Absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with you. I have Coach Q as the coach of the decade. I mean, to win three cups, uh, to have such an exceptional six or seven years in a row with the Hawks, um, you know, to do it with so many different important pieces, too. I mean, obviously, Taze and Kane, uh, Keith and Seabrook are there as your as your main group. But, you know, there was a lot of turnover between all three of those. Um, you know, they played with they played with the salary cap. They had to make some hard trades to get rid of the, the favorite hometown players. They did it with different goaltenders. Coach Q always kept them uh, competitive. He he kept them as a, as a unit, even when there was a revolving door of some of the role players there. Um, and I know it's early, but, you know, he's having a great start to his career with Florida now. I think he's, he's far and away the best coach of the decade. And uh, it's not just a hometown pick for us. I, I think the his record is, is clear of him deserving this. Yeah, and I go with the fact that he was there for pretty much the entire decade. And, uh, you know, just what he did and how many clutch games and there was never any panic in, in any of these playoff series. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you just said there. And, and you know, the guy just said, what he's doing in Florida, you know, he just continues on rolling, so... All right, let's go to our center of the decade. I have a feeling that we are going to differ here because um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Jonathan Taze, and I know it's probably going to be an unpopular pick because there's probably several. But look, this is the captain who he had to break a 49 year drought. Uh, we are so far removed from that 2010 playoff run. I don't think people realize what he did in that – remember what he did in that 2010 playoff run. Remember, he set the record for uh, most consecutive games with a point in the playoffs. He broke Stan McKenna's record. I'm pretty sure he broke it. Um, you know, I know he at least tied it. He was the consummate. He was absolutely dominated in 2010. Won a gold medal. Remember, in 2010, won a gold medal. And, you know, this is a guy who he won a selkie. He's literally taking every face off. He has done more with less support in the fact that he's never, ever had a number two center behind him to take off the pressure consistently. You know, you've seen spurts or that. But, like, okay, well, Michael Hansus was their number two center at one point. So, you, you know, he's never had a number two center. And I just like that Jonathan Tate's two-way game. Fantastic. And to me, 
it's not all about the massive points. Yeah, I mean, again, as as a huge Taze fan, it's it's a great pick. There were really, I mean, I think it came down to, to two options here. Um, I thought about throwing Kopitar into the mix just because yeah. he had a great run. Uh, he's still producing, you know, a, a great amount of centers. I had to go with Sidney Crosby. I mean, I think he's the player of the decade. Um, he's got the cups. He's got the international success. Uh, the Penguins have remained competitive. I, he's just exceptional. You really can't go wrong with either Taze or Crosby. Um they're both great. I just give him the edge based on um, some of the the numbers that he has to go along with the the cup success. I really feel like we should have done like a top three of our <laughs> moments of the decade that we're gonna get to later. Maybe I'll change that just to do it because we'll there's so the many fly. great what we'll go on the fly. yeah so many great moments because you know to make it just one maybe we'll do like a top three or five we'll just list them and really quickly. Um, all right, let's go get to our wingers. So we're basically just making a complete line. So. What are you, we have to pick two, our wingers. So I chose Patrick Kane. He is the leading scorer of this decade, by the way. He passed Sidney Crosby because Crosby's been injured for part of this year. And then Alexander Ovechkin, the leading goal scorer, 413 goals in this decade. Yeah. <laughs> and, and But Patrick Kane, 755 points, something like that, in this decade. Just phenomenal. Won a heart trophy. Uh, you know, won a con smite. Even though, like, you know, and we'll get into this later, but he probably wasn't the most deserving of the con smite that year. And Alex Ovechkin, I mean, what he did in that playoff run and what he just continues to do and put up goals. This guy is probably going to wind up as the all-time leading goal scorer in the NHL history, which is phenomenal when you think that you have to get to 894 goals. and That's a lot of freaking goals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I went chalk on this one, same as you. I have Ovechkin and Kane. They're just so dynamic they're they've been good for so long um you know they're the kind of guys that you can't take your eyes off them for a second when they're on the ice or they're gonna burn you you might want to throw two on them they're just that good um and they continue as they get to be a little older in their careers here they're still just as good uh they're still point leaders in their teams respectively so um you can't go wrong with having Ovechkin and Kane on the wing yeah yeah I agree um you know, it, to me, it's just they've been the two best. They've been the most dominant, and I think it was the easiest of everything. But here is where I think it got really hard. Um, two defensemen of the decade. And so, you know, you look at this, and I went with Drew Doughty. Because Drew Doughty, what he did in those Canes runs, I mean, he was the definition of a number one defenseman. And so I thought just Drew Doughty was phenomenal. And I think he was 12th in uh, points in, in the decade, or 12th among defensemen in points in the decade. So he wasn't the biggest you know, point getter in terms of defensemen, but, uh, you know, Drew Doughty. But I, I think about that playoff run, and I think about 2014 and that Western Conference final, and just what an absolute madman he was in just pushing the play. And, and I mean, the, the back and forth between him and Kane, that one game, Trying to remember the game off the top of my head, but there was that game where him and Kane duel. <laughs> and it was like one goal, one goal, one goal, one goal. And Drew Doughty, and as well as Team Canada, uh, Drew Doughty. And then I went with Shea Weber. I mean, this is a guy who epitomized Nashville for the longest time. He continues to get it done in Montreal. He has the hardest shot, whatever that means. Uh, Shea Weber has just been phenomenal, and he pumps in goals, powerful goals, and it was hard to leave Duncan Keith off. 
But I just thought that I didn't want to get too Blackhawk heavy, and I thought somebody needed to be recognized for what they continue to do individually. And I thought Shane Weber uh, is someone who just continues to get done. I mean, this guy is, what, 34, 35 years old, and he's still putting up points on the power play and just quarterbacking for Montreal. Yeah, some great picks. I had Dowdy as well. I mean, uh, absolutely fantastic numbers for the decade. He's got the two cups. Um, it's it's not always that you find the best player on a Stanley Cup winning team as a defenseman. Typically, it's going to be your top scorer, your goalie. And you can argue between uh, Drew Dowdy and, and Jonathan Quick. Dowdy is fantastic. I think he was the, the heart and soul of that team. Um, has had a fantastic decade. My other pick may be a bit unconventional because this this guy's been around, it seems like, forever. I put Zdeno Chara. I mean, he's been the model of consistency. Um, he must be like 55 years old, and he's still playing at, at a good level. Um, he may not have the burst that some of these other guys do in, in their scoring, but his leadership, his uh, consistency, his timing for big moments, and just his play overall has been um, – has been huge for Boston and helping them to remain competitive through the entire decade. Um, there's so many great people you could pick here. And again, I didn't want to go Duncan Keith to, to make us a, a Homer Blackhawk show, but Char, I think has just been exceptional through the decade. And, um, you know, we're really getting towards the, the twilight of his career. I think he deserves some recognition. I will say that, you know, in Duncan Keith's defense, this guy who has actually won two Norris trophies in this decade and won the Conn Smythe. I mean, you know, to me, it's it's really hard to leave him off. And uh, and I know that, the, you know, the Norris can be subjective at times. But, I mean, this is a guy who's been phenomenal. And, and like I said, he was, like, literally right there with the trailer. I Just because I had a feeling I knew where I was going with my goalie pick, and I still might change it. But I'm probably not just because of the playoff history. So let's go into our goalie of the decade. I'm going to give you the floor, and I'm going to let you choose goalie because I'm still undecided. <laughs> yeah, I went with um, – this This question has been debated all around Twitter and um, Facebook too as as we reach these end-of-the-decade picks. I went with Marc-Andre Fleury for mine. Um, listen, I know he wasn't – necessarily the the number one goaltender on those runs with the Pittsburgh Penguins in their cups. Um, he's been consistent despite the injuries. He's helped the Penguins remain competitive. Um, you know, I don't think you can necessarily even put into words how important he was to, to Vegas um, for them to build their entire expansion team basically around him. He was their top guy um, that they picked up. He's just been he's been so exceptional to watch. And you go into the off the ice. He's a great character. Um, the the love of the game, the pranks that he plays on teammates as he um, every time he goes back to Pittsburgh. It's again so many good goaltenders throughout this um, this decade. I just went with the flower here. You know I I love to pick a Mark Andre Fleury, and he's gonna be he was my second one. Um, you know. And the only reason that, you know, he had a lot of struggles in the early part of this decade in the playoffs. But you go back to, yes, you know what, in 2016, he wasn't the goaltender because he suffered that concussion. Matt Murray came in. Matt Murray played his brains out. And then Fleury wound up having to come in for one game and, you know, the relief. And then he got the net start. And that was a loss. They went back to Matt Murray. But in 2017, 
Flurry is the reason why they got to the Stanley Cup final. Flurry won nine of those games that they won. He was nine six, uh, you know, in fifteen games, and so Mark Andre Flurry stood on his head, especially against Washington in those series, and really because Matt Murray was hurt, and then it was, you know, Flurry had a bad game, and Matt Murray came in and finished off the run, but Flurry should get a lot more credit for that second championship in Pittsburgh, and then what he did in Vegas. I agree. I mean, especially that first playoff against the Los Angeles Kings where, what, uh, the Kings only scored three goals. The Vegas only had to score seven in the sweep because that's how good Marc-Andre Fleury was. And it's probably the last really good performance we've seen from Jonathan Quick as well. Um, I am going to go with Corey Crawford. And the reason I'm going to go with Corey Crawford is I just go back to, in 2013 and 2015, the, the Hawks had this whole, like, arrogance of a champion thing going on and Zach you'll remember this that like in the first round they would literally just sleepwalk through it and if it wasn't for Corey Crawford <laughs> they don't win the cup in 2013 Corey Crawford should have been the con Smythe in 2013 because of he just stood on his head and the only reason he didn't get it was that there was that six to five game or five to four game against Boston in the Stanley Cup final, and then there was like another four to three game because of two performances where he let in, you know, several goals and they became shootouts. That's the only reason why he didn't get it. But I believe he looked back in there in the regular season in twenty thirteen, he had like one point eight four goals against. It was ridiculous. In the playoffs, he was like right at two, even with those performances. But Corey Crawford literally against those series against the Minnesota Wild and the Nashville Predators where they were just kind of sleepwalking their way through. And it's because of Corey Crawford that the Blackhawks got those cups. And for there, he is, to me, the Rodney Dangerfield of the NHL. He just does not get the respect that he deserves. And he's in the top 10 in wins in this decade, um, you know, in most, in most categories. Corey Crawford, to me, deserves so much more respect and deserves and I will you'll beat this stump into the ground and Corey Crawford whenever he retires deserves to be in the Hall of Fame yeah I mean it's it's a great pick um I think one of the the most underrated things about him too is you mentioned the 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 arrogance that the Hawks had and you know this was going to be their decade they were going to go on this dynasty and of course it turned out that they were going to win three but Crawford wasn't with them the whole time. He had to come in and take up, um, you know, right where Niemi left off when they had that first, um, when they had that first cup during their run. You know, it it's hard to come in and to take all the expectations that the Chicago Blackhawks had and deliver the way he did, um, regular season and postseason. I think he's, um, I think you nailed it. I, he's underrated. He's had a great year this year, which is, I think we're the only two talking about it other than maybe the rest of Blackhawks radio. Um, you know, league wide, he doesn't get any recognition for what he's done and he's certainly deserving of, um, you know, getting more discussion about him. Absolutely. I, I agree. So, all right, let's go into our game of the decade. I chose the 2013 first round series game seven between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Boston Bruins. Uh, if you remember this Toronto, was down 3-1 in the series, came back to tie it. Toronto winds up, you know, with a 4-1 lead with 10 minutes left. Boston gets a goal. Boston then gets two goals in the final two minutes with the goalie pulled to tie it. They win it six minutes into overtime. 
And this was just an incredible scene. If you remember, it was not too long after the Boston Marathon bombings either that this happened. And just an incredible atmosphere in Boston when it had it and it helped propel them to a cup run uh, in 2013, you know, losing the Stanley Cup final to the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. But I, I, the whole reaction afterwards, seeing everybody's reaction and just everything in the stadium, one of the most incredible games I've seen in my life. There's a lot of a lot of contenders that you could have gone. Um, and, and like I said, I, there's so many ways that you could do a like, top five list for anything of this. Um, we, you know, in this whole decade recap. Yeah, I mean, you could have for the best game of the decade, you could have a top fifty list, and you're yeah. still leaving out some great games. Um, and that's just one of the great parts about hockey is you you could have a great game, you know, every night, twice on uh, twice on a weeknight. I went with a, li- a little off the NHL path. I went to the, the very beginning of the decade, the 2010 Olympic final. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, thought about that one too. It, it's it's such a it's still such a great result um, and a great game. Canada defeats the United States three to two. Uh, Sidney Crosby <clears throat> with the overtime winner after Zach Kreese ties the game with 25 seconds left in regulation. Um, you know these were two. Giants facing off against each other um, really set the. I really feel like this was the this was the game and this was the the competition that brought the USA back into you know relevance of being a, a international powerhouse in the hockey community. Yeah. Um, you know they've had great matches throughout the years, but nothing really beats the 2010 Olympic final for me. No, I I, I agree. Um, you know. And like I said, we were talking about moments that definitely would have been on my list. Um, and I had thought about that for the game of the decade. Uh, just iconic with Sidney Crosby beating Ryan Miller, the celebration of Vancouver. Just one of the most incredible, uh, incredible games I've ever seen in my life. I, I still remember that game. So, All right, let's go to our series of the decade. I chose the 2015 Western Conference Final between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Anaheim Ducks. And if you remember this, this... I, Gosh, I mean, first of all, I forgot that there was a the triple overtime game with a Shaw header that was on a lot, you know, not allowed, and Marcus Kruger, and and I just I remember it now because um, I remember being there uh, watching this series, and the fact is that like there was the um, I remember game one, like I mean, it was pretty emotional. You know, I had a family member that passed away, really. Game two, and so I remember watching game two like that night, just kind of being numb, and then being up until one thirty in the morning watching the game, and I uh, see Marcus Kruger the tip in, which I believe went off with shin pads if I remember, um, you know, but that series it was just so physical, and it was, and I remember Ryan Kessler and Anaheim just kind of running their mouths about the Blackhawks. We were just going to pound them in the lid. I mean, there were like 50 hits a game they were laying on the Blackhawks. And the Blackhawks were like, we don't care. You can hit us as many times. You're not going to beat us. And the Hawks, we down 3-2 after losing that game five really quickly in overtime, like 45 seconds in overtime. And then that game seven, a vintage Jonathan Taze moment, two goals in the first period. And the Blackhawks, you know, got... What I think Anaheim had cut it to two at one point in that third period, but then you know Brent Seabrook wound up getting the goal. I mean, I'll, I'll have to look it up. That was it was one of the most physical series. And if you remember, I believe that's also when Oduya got injured, and they were down to like three and a half defensemen. 
yeah. for that and the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I mean, that was um, such a great series. As a Hawks fan, that was maybe the first time in those five or six years where I really felt nervous um, when the Ducks yeah. go up 3-2 to two and you're thinking, you know, the Hawks are resilient, but really, can you survive seven games of the, the physical punishment that Anaheim was delivering? Um, of course, they did as a Hawks fan. Um, nothing was better than watching you know, Anaheim run their mouth and then have to skate through the, the handshake line as the losers. Um, I went one year earlier for my series, the 2014 Western Conference Finals. That was my other one that I um, I mean, this des- was deserved of the Stanley Cup. It, really, this this was the best series that year. Um, a pretty underwhelming Stanley Cup final as L.A. Beats uh, the Chicago Blackhawks 4-3 in that Western Conference Finals. Of course, the overtime winner by Alex Martinez in Game 7. Um, two teams that really were sparring for, for the best uh, team of the decade at that point, um, even though it was in the early part of, of those 10 years. You know, these were two great teams that had – Great goaltending. They had great offense and defense, and it was really just two juggernauts matching up. Um, this was what we thought was going to be uh, the foreseeable future for the Western Conference. Of course, it didn't really go that way, um, unfortunately. But just an just an amazing series, um, an absolute heartbreaker as a as a Hawks fan to watch LA get that um, get that goal. And I believe Alex Martinez, just a, a week or so later, scored a, the game-winning overtime goal to win the Cup for the Kings. So uh, a great run by him personally, and just an awesome series to watch. Yeah, I mean, you look at the what that that series was, and, and it's it's one of those biggest, like, what-if questions. Because I, I firmly believe, you know, and if the Blackhawks had just held on to Game 7, remember, they were up two goals, I want to say, twice. In that game, they couldn't get that third goal in the first period. In the second period, they just put the nail in the coffin and the kids, and the kids came back. You just see it. But it, just the counterpunching between them because they had met in the Western Conference Final the year before, and it was just one of those fun series to watch. And if that puck doesn't go off Nick Lenny's glove, you know, does, does, do they wind up winning? Do the Blackhawks win? Then do the Blackhawks wind up, you know, repeating, which I think they would have won in 2014. Do they wind up winning three in a row there? I mean, it, it's one of those things that I feel like people use that series to delegitimize the Blackhawks dynasty, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Those were the two best teams in the Western Conference going head-to-head at the height of their powers. It was fun to watch. The two best teams in the league. I mean, I, yep. I feel pretty confident that the Hawks would have won that Stanley Cup. This was the series that you want for the Cup Finals, and just unfortunately yep. came in the Conference Finals. Yep. All right, let's. We got a few more, and then we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, our rivalry of the decade. I have the Los Angeles Kings versus San Jose Sharks. You remember the Sharks were up three nothing in twenty twelve, and the Kings came back and won. You know, uh, with the reverse sweep four three. Uh, the Sharks wound up actually winning a couple times in, uh, or maybe was it twenty fourteen? I'll go back here and check, but. You know, they split four playoff series. Uh, San Jose, when they beat the Kings in 2016, that was propelled them to the cup final. Uh, just a, a fun, a nasty series. And just these two teams don't like each other. And, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of 
nastiness now with this whole division. We've seen it at bits and spurts, but there's only a few, you know, Hawks, Blues, stuff like that, but the Penguins, Capitals, but I went with the Kings shirts. Yeah, uh, definitely two teams that don't like each other. I went with the, the rivalry that you just mentioned, the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, what was it, three years in a row they, they met up in the playoffs, and whoever won that series ended up winning the Cup, back-to-back uh, yeah. -back by Pittsburgh and then Washington the next year. Uh, two great teams, two teams that don't like each other. They're always good games. They're always competitive. Um, you know, typically one team leads the division. The other team is right on their heels. They've just been uh, exceptional to watch as, I think, in my eyes, the greatest rivalry of the decade. Yeah, so the uh, the Sharks, yeah, they won in 2011. Kings got the revenge in 2013. That was a, let's see here, I believe it was a... Was it a seven game? Or... Yes. Yes. And then, you know, the kids completed a 3 0 comeback two years later, and San Jose wound up uh, you know, beating them in six. But, no, I, I think that, you know, you can't go wrong with Capitals, Penguins. You know, Vetchkin, Crosby, all that stuff. Uh, you know, Chris Netsoff, when they eliminated them finally. Uh, you know, they, they've had some legendary series. All right. Team of the decade, I went with the 2013 Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, well, they started out 21-0-3, went 36-7-5. And you put up those numbers and you go to an 82-game season, it's pretty much among the best teams of all time. And this is a team that they were tested in the playoffs. They were down 3-1 against the Detroit Red Wings. To come back, they win the only 3-1 overtime, for my money, the only 3-1 overtime game in Game 7 because uh, Nicholas Jarvis' goal never should have been disallowed. Brandon Sy gets a penalty for receiving, uh, but they wind up scoring, you know, what, a few minutes in the overtime with Brent Seabrook's winner, and then, you know, you have the Western Conference Final, the like the double overtime winner in Game 5 uh, to eliminate the Canes in the Western Conference Final on Saturday night, United Center, and then you win with two goals in 17 seconds, another epic moment. Uh, th that team was just ridiculously talented, uh, Corey Crawford and Ray Emery just ran roughshod through the league goaltending, uh, and, and they were stacked. Yeah, I mean, that was a team of destiny. It, they really just were exceptional yeah. from the beginning of the season to when they lifted that cup. I went with, maybe this is a, a recency bias pick, I went with St. Louis last year. I mean, to, to start the year 2019 as the worst team in the league, to go on the run they did, um, just to make the playoffs, and then the the success they had in each round. Um, exceptional. Bennington, great. Uh, O'Reilly was was fun to watch. They really just, this was a team that went from worst to first in the best way, win, their, uh, win a cup for the city, and, you know, to do it on the road in Boston. They had a great game seven. It really was just an exceptional year for them. Um, they were fun to watch. I've got them as my team. All right. Yeah. All right, two more, and then we are done here with this decade recap. Uh, moment of the decade, I have the Vegas Golden Knights' first ever home game, and if you remember that, it's right after the Vegas shootings. And it was just an incredibly emotional moment. You had Derek Eglin give a speech, who was a Vegas uh, resident, and it, so the Vegas Golden Knights, their first ever game at home, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Uh, they had what all the what first responders come out, uh, it, it really kind of galvanized the city with the franchise and put a lasting bond with them. And I think, it, you know, 
that is it's just something that you'll never forget. I mean, uh, you know, that was one of those things that, you know, the emotion and seeing the players and seeing how the franchise really did it right with the city and the recognized first responders and to remember the victims, uh, just an incredible moment. Yeah, I, you know, I went a little further with, with Vegas too. I have when they won the West as my moment. I mean, um, to go from an expansion team to playing for the Stanley Cup, everything that they meant to that city, um, you know, it was an awesome moment to watch a bunch of guys who uh, really had to come together in such a short period of time and just the way they played all year and, and to, to make it to the cup finals in their first year was an awesome moment. Um, hopefully we get to see it soon with some of the, the talk about more expansion teams coming. Yeah, Seattle's coming in, what, a year and a half yeah. from now. We'll, we'll get to do fun expansion draft stuff uh, probably the end of this season. We'll do it as one of our summer ones before we take a break, I'm sure, from the summer. All right, our franchise of the decade Chicago Blackhawks, they won three Cups, uh, 2010, and then, you know, they had two tough first-rounders, seven-gamer, six-gamer, uh, to the Canucks and Coyotes, respectively. They win in 2013. They, they go to Game 7 of the Western Conference Final in overtime in 2014. Wind up winning a Cup again in 2015. Three Cups in six years. Um, and who knows, if they if Brett Seabrook shot doesn't, you know, double-think off the post, uh, you know, off one post off the other, in 2017, and they managed to beat the St. Louis Blues in the first round. Who knows what happens with that team? Um, just an incredible franchise. Uh, you know, they made the playoffs by eight of the ten years in the decade. And to me, their three cups trumps the two of the Canes and the two of the Penguins. Yeah, I mean, uh, my heart and my brain, that's where I go. Um, I knew you were going to pick the Hawks, so I needed to make it a little different. Um, just so we have a, a you know a more interesting show. I went with the Penguins, the two cups, um, you know, exceptional through the entire decade. Always competitive in the East, um, as we mentioned, to, to go through different goaltenders, to go through different coaches. They always remain competitive. Um, you know, there's not much more you can say about um, the Penguins and the Blackhawks. I think is I think they're the two obvious choices for this question. The Kings. Uh, maybe third place, but I think yeah. there's a good distance between these top two teams. Um, yeah, the Penguins and the Hawks, probably the, the biggest disappointment of the, for me personally as a, as a fan of both is that these two teams never matched up in the Stanley Cup Finals. I yep. think that's the only thing really we were missing from this decade. Um, but Almost had it in 2015 yep. when Tampa Bay beat Pittsburgh in Game 7 in the Eastern Conference mm -hmm. Final, right? Yeah, if I remember correctly, almost had it right. I, I believe that that was the twenty fifteen Eastern Conference Final. I think final. so. Uh, but yeah, you you know that is one of the things. The disappointing thing is they were both kind of at the height of their powers at slightly different times of the decade, and I think NHL fans really got spoiled by not having you know the the Hawks and Penguins in the Stanley Cup Final at the same time. It, it would have been epic. I mean, if there was the NBA, it would have happened like five times. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> But, you know, that's not. That's what makes this sport great. So I, I agree with you, man. Let's see Crosby and Taves. It would have definitely also answered that age-old question. Look, Crosby is the superior player overall. Now, the doubt, because he, he just puts up more offensive numbers. And uh, But it would have been fun to see Taves trying to shut him down defensively. Absolutely. So, uh, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our decade in review, and we are on to 2020.
believe it or not. So we will be back next week with yet another edition of Puckhead. So for Zach, I'm Matt. We'll see you guys in the new year. Happy New Year.